You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCourt. Welcome to Pride Month, you guys. Woo! 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 Also exciting that it's summer and Pride all at the same time. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So we're going to try to do a documentary based on the LGBTQIA plus world of some sort mm-hmm. all month to celebrate. And the first one we're going to do is called Before Stonewall. The Making of a Gay and Lesbian Community. I like how it was a gay and lesbian community, not the gay and lesbian community. Just one of them. I mean, I like the, I like the idea that there were pockets of people that were coming around at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was done in 1984. And even though it was done in 1984, it didn't feel quite as old as the one we did last week. So <laughs> good on the director. Mm-hmm. It's one hour and 27 minutes long. I found it for free on TV. I rented it on Amazon Prime twice. <laughs> Because she's not resourceful. It's limited. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I'm, I I don't have any excuse. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, directed by Greta Schiller and Robert Rosenberg. And I don't know them for anything else. They look like they had some great stuff out there, but mm-hmm. nothing I've seen before. Can I say, first and foremost, that this documentary had some amazing footage from like the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, all the way up through, you know, 1969 when Stonewall happened. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Yeah, it was like watching just an old movie. I mean, it was an old movie. It's 40 years old almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it is an old documentary, yeah. but it was just really well done. So you didn't feel like you were watching something from 1984. You felt like you were watching something, I don't know, that was just talking about further back, like 100 years ago. I mean, technically, they do cover some stuff from the 20s, mm-hmm. so it is 100 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> it's just hard yeah. to think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. The information is really powerful and helpful. I did find that I had to take some breaks because either I was having to concentrate really hard to catch stuff for notes, um, but it was like a lot. So I had to like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe do 20 minutes of it and then take a little break to reset my mind and Mm -hmm. then go in. But again, if you're just casually watching this, it probably wouldn't do that to you. (laughs) Right. Cause I'm like trying to get names and stuff. Yeah. Right. And they only give you the names the first time. And so I had to like scroll back up and reference them again and I didn't get all the names either. So. Right. So let's get into it. They start with people talking in the background. So they over old footage. Mm Mm-hmm. And again, we're talking about the 20s and 30s. And these people are discussing how they're a lot of them were brought up in rural communities because this is before World War II. And that's when a lot of people had flocked to the cities is during World War II. So, and even I think in the 20s with the economic boom, some people did. So before that, there were a lot of people who lived in rural communities. So they felt very alone. There was no sexual education. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It was just locked down. Shocking. Yeah. I mean, you know that it was true, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like I've never heard that before, but to hear people being like, well, we didn't know anything. And I'm like, how could, 
it's just so eye-opening. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, I forgot that that was Mm -hmm. part of the conservative upbringing of the time. It still is in some places. I mean, look at Sarah Palin trying to say, well, abstinence is the only way. And her daughter went and got pregnant. And I'm like, maybe if you had educated her a little bit on how this happened, maybe they could have worn a condom. Just saying. Right. But it's God's will at that point. So (laughs) there's always um, a pivot that you can do. Mm. Yeah. Right. To keep it going. Yeah, so. One man said, I thought women fell in love with horses and men fell in love with each other. (laughs) I was like, oh shit, yo. What are you reading or watching or what's going on there? I guess there wasn't television really at the time, but. Mm -mm. Yeah, that seems very, very focused on a very small sample set, is my (laughs) guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that one took me aback. Richard Bruce Nugent of no relation to Ted, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. He had commented that homosexuality had always been a dirty word, but the act wasn't dirty. And he never felt dirty as a homosexual. Mm -hmm. It was just the word that was dirty. And I'm like, well, I like that distinction. I don't like that it was a dirty word, but I like the distinction of it didn't make me feel dirty being homosexual. It just sounded like it. Right. It just, it makes you feel like he had some, some love, some pleasure, right? Some like nice things going on for him. Cause I think a lot of people, especially at times where you couldn't express nothing. Um, I can't imagine how difficult that would have been for folks. So I am pleased to hear that he, he had something good going on. Yeah. He seemed like a cool cat. What other guy made a comment that no one really knew much about gay life outside of cowboys because it was natural for them that was harry otis yeah and i thought okay is it a prison situation where there's no other options which is kind of what he explains later like they had to have sex it was either with each other or with animals is what he said and i thought okay you have a hand you can take care of yourself it's really not that big of a deal well i think that's a really good example of you know Polite society tells you one thing, but lived experience says something quite different. And I think it's very difficult when those two things um, kind of butt up against each other. And, you know, a young person might not be able to make sense of that. I mean, I think it's difficult even as a, an adult to be like, wait, but you, we said that, you know, men can't be together and women can't be together, but men and women can be together. But I see many examples of when that's not true. So what are we right. doing here? Yeah. I thought he was a funny dude because he's a dancer and he was saying that he was unique because he had um, a gay aunt and a gay uncle that were able to support him. And even though they were kind of ostracized in their own family because they didn't get married, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. His own father, you know, kind of was not a fan because I think there was, this is definitely something they didn't talk about, but everybody knew about it, which is pretty common, you know, is what we always kind of hear, but Then you're talking about the the cowboys were together and there was this really odd lavender cowboy video mm-hmm. playing. There's a lot of footage from different things. Um, when, you know, they show you in a different context, you're like, it seems like it's got some themes. Right. I wonder, and the only thing I could think is there probably were a lot of gay cowboys and that's, it is what it is. 
But sure. because it's hard for straight society to hear about it, they justified it to themselves this way. Like, oh, they had to have sex, so that was their only option. But now if there are women's around, they'll go to the women folk. Whereas they were just happy to be men together, and that should have been okay to just be that way. But sure, it's kind of like they always want to make cowboys all white and heroic, but in the end, a lot of them were black and heroic, but also enslaved. So... They want to portray this picture of what cowboys were, which is very different from right. reality. Yeah. So, you know, kind of facing some of these social pressures, they talk about many people would deny these feelings and they discuss that getting caught would ruin your life. And so it could result in jail time. You could be put in an institution, which is fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. Or people would just, you know, end their lives. Yeah. Donna Smith, she would talk about, or she talked about how her, someone had told her mother she was living a lesbian life with her girlfriend, Valerie, and her mother told the police, they picked her up off the street and threw her into the psych ward at a hospital, essentially, without a hearing, without any questioning of her it was just like, well, obviously, this person said this, therefore, which is terrifying that anyone else could say anything about you and have this happen. Or maybe because it was her mother, and so they felt like, oh, well, her mother knows best, but she was an adult. It's not like she was a kid. Right. And I think that plays into the theme where being homosexual was considered a, a psychological problem. Mm-hmm. For a very, very long time. So I think that this was a common belief. Mm -hmm. And I just can't. It's just really difficult to think about that now. Because at one point we'd made some progress on this. I don't know if I believe we're still that far along. But nonetheless. Yeah. So we do meet a guy named Harry Hay. And he's a really interesting cat. He has the funkiest necklace on that I've ever seen. Like it was. It was really a statement piece which was awesome mm-hmm. he seemed like a cool dude mm-hmm. so he tells us that the word gay wasn't really used you were temperamental or you were that way there are a lot of different you know ways they tried to say it without really saying anything and this was pretty common in the 20s and 30s and I did like it. he kind of gave some examples of how gay people might recognize or find each other. Mm -hmm. So if you're a man, you were walking along the street and you saw a man with a matching necktie and a hanky or just a very direct look in the eyes. I'm like, that seems hard to interpret, (laughs) but nonetheless, that's what they did. Then there was some like code questions. Like, do you have a match or do you have the time? And I'm like, Jesus Christ, that is the only questions acceptable to ask a stranger. Right, right. They before should, phones. They should have better codes, right? Little elephants in colorful socks. Something that would let you know directly. Because you could mistakenly ask someone the wrong thing. And that wouldn't end well. Right. I was just like, oh, that's not a good code. That's just very common. But again, right. I wasn't there. So The gal flies at midnight. That's what you should say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Bird gang. <laughs> Right. Right? Better code words. Yes. I like how he also talked about that the 
the gay community wasn't just for gay people. So it was considered the community of Twilight, people who were out at Twilight. So these people, anyone who was out after dark at the park. So sex workers. And he said, ladies of doubtful virtue and gentlemen of doubtful virtue. And I thought, okay, ladies of doubtful virtue could be any woman, literally. Gentlemen of doubtful virtue, clearly just gay men, right? Because if they're just whoring it up with other women, it doesn't matter. They still have that virtue intact. So they have a little more leeway. But still, all the unsavory characters, right? Yeah. Women wearing pants. I mean, they would have considered, a, yeah, of the questionable virtue. What a great phrase, though. Like, it takes a long it time is. to get to the end of that. Yeah, a woman of ill repute. Love it. So he kind of encapsulates all this with the term demimond. And that's all the undesirables for, like, high society. Like, your proper society would not accept any of the people, like you're talking about the Twilight. The, the people who are enjoying the best time of the day. It's fine. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. They're my people. For reals. I was going to say, they also talk about the 20s with the academic. That's right. That's a word. Economic, even. Woohoo! Put those vowels in the right place. With economic prosperity, the cities grew. And so you have people kind of flocking to the cities again. You have homosexuals starting to gather in what they call bohemian neighborhoods such as San Francisco's Barbary Coast, Nolan's French Quarter, mm-hmm. and New York's Harlem and Greenwich Village, which someone calls it Greenwich Village at one point in time in this documentary. And I'm like, no, no, cut that out. That's not it. <laughs> right. hundred percent. I love how they're like, the main thought was to break the law and live as wildly as you could. Right? Fuck yeah. <laughs> I'm all about that. So there's a guy named Ted who who talks about rent parties. Mm-hmm. These are your lawbreakers. These are the people who are drinking bathtub gin, which sounds unsanitary. And yeah, mm-hmm. everybody's out doing it. Was well, during prohibition. Right. So yeah, these are speakeasies. He's like they were like everywhere. He said that you would pay fifty cents to a dollar to get one saltine cracker with a piece of salami and then apparently all the bathtub gin you wanted which was just gin and ice and grenadine to make it pink yeah and then you get to go home with a cute boy or girl that you met whatever whatever flavor you like and uh i thought you know in my 20s my early 20s i would have been all about that shit i mean they make it sound like a great time i probably would have had to bring some extra snacks but yeah that's not enough to that much that much gin, yeah. Maybe some yeah, bread. It sounds like the kind of drink that would like erode the lining of your stomach. You know what I mean? It just sounds like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about Harlem? So there's a lady named Mabel Hampton, and she talks about her favorite bar in Harlem was a place called the Garden of Joy. And it sits atop a hill and it sounds so lovely. And she talks about all the people that she saw and what a a great environment that it was and kind of the bars and clubs were not especially, or they were not necessarily specified as gay, but they were open and everybody was welcome. So they didn't really exclude anybody. So there were more exclusive clubs 
that had black performers who were really for white patrons, right? And then there were the cool bars that had, you know, possibly black performers for everybody else. And that Mm -hmm. seemed to be really awesome. So there was Gladys's Bentley's little hideaway Mm -hmm. that was in a basement. Um, There was something called the freewheeling buffet flats. And those were kind of the places to be seen. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk a little bit about Gladys Bentley's, um, she was very overt. I think she dressed in tuxedos and suits. So it was kind of an outward portrayal of how she felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was a piano player. And so, you know, her lyrics and stuff kind of gave you, I mean, she was really out there. She didn't really hide anything. And I think that this was accepted by the people around her. She wasn't necessarily, I mean, she was thumbing her nose at the people of the time. Right. But the place that she was in Harlem, it was great. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they said at one point she ran off to Atlantic City to marry her girlfriend. And I love that. I was yeah. curious if it was legal, if it was she portrayed herself as a man to get the marriage or mm-hmm. how it worked. If they were like Atlantic City is a lawless land and you can do whatever you want. <laughs> I was just curious how that worked. And uh, I hope those crazy cats made it. I've seen Boardwalk Empire, and I think that as long as you had enough moolah, you could do whatever <laughs> you want. Right. 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 I also like that Garden of Joy one is a great fucking name for a club. It'd be a great swingers club name, I think. But they mentioned that there's a church there now. And I thought, oh, that's a interesting transition. Yeah, they're trying to reclaim that space for Jesus, I guess. (laughs) Right? I think Jesus would have liked the Garden of Joy. I think so, too. There's a guy named Allen Ginsberg who talks in here a few different times and he has a very low voice and I kept having to turn my volume up. I'm like, eh, what was that? <laughs> so funny. Well, he's a, he's a famous beat poet. Are you familiar right. with his work? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He was mm-hmm. with like Kerouac in them. Yeah. Yeah. It was really fun to hear him, but I was just like, I hope they had good mics back in there. Cause I kept <laughs> seriously having to stop and be like, I-, I think it's my ears. I just can't hear that low frequency. Closed captioning, ma'am. I I did. Do you? Yeah, I really got, I'm into that now. Okay. So he talks about old culture, right? Gnostic Bohemian culture, and what we kind of see portrayed as cabaret, like German cabaret, mm-hmm. and like kind of an anything goes, like a lot freer dress and acceptance. And he kind of, I think his point is that it's been around for forever. We just love to limit things in our stupid Western culture. So Mm -hmm. it's just really funny to see, like, people have been getting this right for a long time. And then we walk it backwards and then more people get it right. And then we are like, "Mm," and then we like drag them back down. So annoying. It is. It's annoying to watch it happen Mm -hmm. as we talk. You know, it's. Yeah. Jesus. Right. hundred percent. And they, they talk about how a lot of them are in artistic communities. It kind of is a place where it's more accepted in artistic communities to be gay. Um, I think it's a, it's a shame because I am not at all artistic. Not that I couldn't thrive in an artistic community. It's just like, here, I'll grab your paints and brushes, I guess. But I would need my own scientific community, if you will. And I need to be accepted there as well. But at least they had somewhere to thrive. So even if you weren't artistic, I don't know. 
I mean, I think it attracted lots of different people, right? Because an artist is probably someone who's a little bit more authentic. Like, I'm feeling pain. I'm expressing pain. And Mm -hmm. we don't do that in normal, everyday culture. I don't think very well. But yeah, so there's a lady named Barbara Greer. And she's talking about some of the literary things that came along between 1875 and 1940. There were about 500 novels published with lesbian content. But I think it's hilarious because there were about five times that for gay men in literature. Like that content was like explosive um, compared to lesbian content. And I'm just like, of course, men have to get first billing everywhere forever. Well, I I am going to make one comment. I wonder if part of that is because women writing lesbian content is going to be more authentic, right? And so women weren't really published in that time very much, right? Okay. So it's possible that's part of it, although not all of it, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And also women weren't encouraged to read because that takes away from them housing skills. And so they're not going to publish something they don't think is going to make money. So there are probably a couple reasons for that. Also, uh, there are a lot more gay and bi men out there than they want to admit. So that was a way for them to secretly have pleasure. I don't know. <laughs> right. No, I, I like the I like your explanation. And I think it's sound argument. You just strange it didn't show up here. They were just like, here's some facts. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so there's a book called The Well of Loneliness. Don't think I'm not looking that shit up, by the way. I know. I was like, ooh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> there's a hit play called Captive. And mm-hmm. these are things that have lesbian content and they're considered obscene and they're censored. But also, they're a major topic of public discourse. And I kept thinking, like, is this the 1920s and 30s? Like, we just are in this, like, washing machine of, like, oh, some things advance, but then they crash and burn in the 20s and 30s. You know what I mean? It's just bizarre. So there's also um, somebody called Radcliffe Hall who had an appeal which really helped publishers. However, on stage, the gay references were kind of limited. So while you're seeing some advancements in censorship and publishing, you're also seeing the converse that's happening on stage. So it's interesting to understand the forces at work. So I found Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Well, they also have um, the Hayes Code that comes out in the 30s. And so they talk about how Oscar Wilde Salome was made in Hollywood with an all-gay cast. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, it's determined in 1935 that they ban all references to homosexuality. So, yeah, it goes into a real prudish era. And that fixed all the problems in America. And look at us now. We're so much better off. That's right. Yeah. Mm. A nuclear family is where it's at. Mm. So, discussing more about the 30s, Bad economic times in the 30s, if you're not aware. Uh, (laughs) A lot of riots, a lot of problems. Um, They said something about in this documentary, which I laughed. I'd not specifically heard this, but they were like, well, men were leaving women women and children left and right. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay. And it makes sense, right? If you can't 
as a man, your job, especially at that time, was to provide for your wife and children because a woman couldn't work, right? So that was literally your job. And if you didn't have a job to do that, you would feel useless. And I'm sure a lot of them, I don't know that they left because they were like, fuck you, I'm going to go live my life. It was more about, I can't support you. I don't feel like a man. And also maybe I can go work somewhere else and send money back to you or something, right? There's probably a combination of things, but it made sense to me that they left. They, I mean, they still do, but for different reasons. It's just interesting how the mother's the one that always gets punished, right? Yeah. Society depends on women. Um, shocking mm. to a shocking degree. We just don't talk about it. Mm. So there's a lot of social unrest. There's a lot of discrimination. Shocking again. So there's a sexologist, his name is Dr. Hirschfeld, and this is presented as if he was speaking at a dinner party. Mm -hmm. So I will say I looked him up. Dr. Magnus Mm -hmm. Hirschfeld was a German Jewish physician and a sexologist considered to be one of the first pioneers of LGBTQ rights in the early 20th century. So I I had to look it up to make sure that he wasn't just some made up cat, but yeah, he was, he was legit. Right. And so you're mentioning that he helped further rights for this group of people. Um, and it worked out great in some cases, right? Like it was (laughs) fine. So he wanted people to register, right? Like they were registered. And so uh, a man could dress as a woman if he Mm -hmm. wanted, as long as he was kind of on the list. And that was great until Hitler came along. And use that and list for nefarious you purposes. Were yeah, on the list, mm-hmm. you also went to concentration camps. So, um, and let us not forget that when everyone was liberated, they left people in the concentration camps a little longer than it was necessary, and it was typically people who were different like this. So, mm. yeah, we we often focus on them only taking Jewish people. And that was the large majority. I'll grant you, but they took Mm -hmm. anyone who was homosexual, anyone who was different. They took a lot of um, Romani people, anyone they didn't deem as a perfect um, Aryan. Right. Whatever. If you were disabled, you were there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, um, Mm. it's difficult to talk about, but I'm really glad we're talking about it. Yeah. The Nazis ruin all the progress. Yep, for homosexuals and feminist movement. And I was like, yep, those goddamn Nazis. And they're trying to do it again now. Can we make a little um, disclaimer here that this documentary uses homosexuals? And so that's why I'm saying it, because that's what they said. It seems like a bit antiquated. Right. Yeah, that's Right now. Yeah. Okay. Every time I typed it out, it felt weird to type out. You're you're right. Yeah. It was just the phrase that they did use quite often. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't think it's wrong. Um, I don't really know what the preference is. I don't know if we use it or we don't, but at least in this that they used it. So while I was grabbing my notes, I was also scribbling furiously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. But with the rise of the Nazis comes World War II. They talk about how everyone volunteered after December 7th, which is Pearl Harbor. One person commented, I think it was our friend Hank, we'll meet later. He said that everyone was behind you. So not like the Vietnam War where everyone was like, you stupid idiot for going, even if you were in the draft and had no choice, you were like punished when you came home. In this case, everyone was supporting the people who had to go fight. 
which is how it should be because it's not their fault they're getting sent off. Anyway, George Busser said one of the worst stereotypes is that gay men are effeminate. Mm -hmm. And so to prove his masculinity, he joined the Marines. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah. It doesn't work well for anyone. It really doesn't. Um, They do show during this part of the documentary tons of war propaganda, like, look at the strong youth out in the field doing the things. And it's just that (laughs) whatever that inflection in the voices. And I was laughing my ass off because I was like, oh, if they only knew where they're off to. Right. And can you imagine going to the movies and every everyone sees the same news. You're only being fed the news that they want you to see. And that's it. You don't have any other option. That just is so weird to me now with 24 hour news cycles of every flavor, right. From Mm -hmm. extreme right to extreme left and everything in between here. It was like, this is what we want you to see. And that's it. This is the only place you get to see it. It's weird. Yeah. It was weird. Did you get the bit about uh, the Fort Snelling induction station which almost immediately be called was called the seduction station. Yes. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. So some of the sitch with that is a lot of the officers in Minneapolis and St. Paul were gay bar regulars and they all knew each other. And so as they were watching the recruits out the windows, they were like, there's a lot of beautiful boys out there. And I'm like, I bet there were. Good on mm-hmm. you. Love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I like Hank, who I had just mentioned, Hank Phyllis. Mm-hmm. He talks about he was like the least athletic person ever. Like he tried to throw a grenade and it fell on his foot. And I'm like, yeah, right. that's me. That would be me. So he just kind of laughed it off and became somewhat of a mascot. But I'm like, what did you do then? I mean, not that throwing a grenade was the only thing to do in the military, obviously. As cannon fodder, you mm-hmm. can work many roles. But <laughs> it was just interesting. And they talk about how you're not allowed to have any emotions. Like, men aren't allowed to touch one another unless it was like a pet on the back and an attaboy. But once you were in combat, those rules were lessened a little bit because it was necessary for survival, I'm sure, to a certain extent. So we can talk a little bit about, there's someone named Johnny Phelps, and while gay men kind of had to hide, it seems that lesbians actually had a little bit of, uh, enjoyed a little bit more freedom in the army. They were welcomed there. Yeah, she said there was a tolerance for lesbians if they were needed. And I'm like, well, that's funny. I'm pretty sure that's still the case. They'll tolerate a lot of stuff if they need you to do something. Yeah. She tells the story of, tells the story of being called in the general's office and was asked to help ferret out lesbians, right? So who are the lesbians in this? Because it wasn't allowed, right? It's technically against the rules. Mm -hmm. And the general got a surprise because the response was, hey, let's like everybody here, like my name will be first on the list. And there was another woman that was in that conversation and she said, yes, and mine will also be on the top of the list. And he was like, what are this? And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, yes, dude. Yeah. Right. Calm down. But she also said that she gave him some statistics. She's like, listen, among the women in the battalion were some of the most decorated women in the war. 
there right. have been no cases of illegal pregnancies. Funny how that works. Science. No cases of AWOL. No cases of misconduct. And every six months and they had, since they had been there, the general had awarded them accommodations for meritorious service. So maybe just calm down a little bit and let us do our goddamn jobs. She didn't say that. That's me. Right. But the general was like, all right, maybe just forget that order then. <laughs> Continue on. Right, because he doesn't want to ruin Sterling's reputation for this battalion, right? I'm sure that makes him look great. I don't believe that he was suddenly, like, in acceptance of people. Um, I don't think that that's the case, but at least he didn't hassle them from this point. Right. I think he realized it would have been more paperwork and more of a hassle, and he would have had to replace, like, 97% of his people in a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of work. So it was easier to turn the blind eye and let them go about their business. Right. Also, I'm guessing there yeah. was probably not a single uh, sexual assault during that time. <laughs> Just a thought. Yeah. I'd like to run some numbers on that. Mm -hmm. um, I will say, as a person who hates to do paperwork, I can get behind some of this. So, <laughs> right. So, Hank talks about he was the one who had mentioned not being able to have emotions essentially you can't show affection towards any other man but he talked about a time where him and two friends went to a small town in germany and they were drinking they got pretty drunk and on mm -hmm. the way home two of them hank and one of the other gentlemen essentially ended up having sex with one another where the third one was like oh guys you're drunk stop it come on you know like it was just too much alcohol and right. which is funny to think about until you realize he said those two men that he was with were dead within three weeks that broke my heart. Oh my God. And they were probably all just babies and so young. Right. Right. So yeah, kind of all the other bullshit maybe falls away when your mm -hmm. life is being threatened on the daily. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, we talked to someone named Ricky who says that there are ladies moving into the cities for them jobs. And then I put in, in parentheses and the subsidized childcare that was occurring during this time. Yeah. As we've learned. <laughs> Yeah, okay. we did learn. And it was crazy because they were all wearing pants. They <gasps> had short hair. Because, right, you can't have long hair and like flowy pants or flowy skirts around machinery, everyone. Safety first, as we know. Right. They were able to gain some independence. They had some money of their own. And then our friend Mabel comes back and she said, look, women like women. Even sometimes when they're married to men, women like women, this is not unheard of. It's not uncommon. Mm -hmm. So when everybody's like freaking out about stuff, she's sitting in the back being like, you guys are all guilty of this too. Or you guys are at least enjoying this too, however you really want to phrase it. Mm -hmm. But she says she thinks that half the world is queer and on the down low. So I'm going to tell you, and I've said it in the past, I think everyone's a little bit bisexual. So me and Mabel, we see eye to eye. I get it. I think it's true. Right on, right on. So Jim, at this point, comes back in and is talking about, there are a lot of people mingling in the cities. Some people found a lover, a partner, whatnot. Some about soldiers start off looking for women and sometimes find one another. And I'm like, I bet there's some hot soldiers out there. I think it's a requirement. No, no, I've seen some ugly soldiers. Never mind. And some do look really good in uniform. I'm not a uniform yeah. chaser, but I've I've seen a man in uniform and been like, hmm, maybe there's something to that. 
Just saying. Yeah, I get it. Probably mm-hmm. because they have to. Uh, I think part of that is a uniform means one, you're employed. Two, it's <laughs> usually well kept, right? It's ironed and whatnot, as opposed to a man wearing basketball shorts and a t-shirt that he pulled out of the dryer and is still wrinkled, right? So there's a, <laughs> there's something to it. It's just, yeah, right. Jim was talking about when he came to San Francisco, there were usually about 20 or 30 gay bars at any given time. Um, they were pretty short-lived, but while they were open, they were just packed. And so it, w- it was a place where he was able to meet others like them. So I, I think it's not just relationships, but friendships, like just knowing you're not alone and knowing there are other people like that out there that you can be friends with and not have to hide yourself is probably a freeing experience. I think it's reflected in culture in different places, right? Like throughout this, they're showing you footage of different things. They're playing this real old timey music. That's like my buddy, you know, whatever oh my, my gal. Gosh, yeah. And you're just like, Oh, I guess that, you know, but these were popular. So I thought that mm-hmm. was really interesting. There's a Lakeshore club which is considered a lesbian club. And I don't have the city that that was in. I don't either. Maybe on a lake shore somewhere, probably in Chicago. I don't know. <laughs> and they, well, I think it is in San, San Francisco. You couldn't get in unless you were, unless you looked gay, which I was like, oh, I feel like we want to move away from that. But if you looked gay, you might get in. If you knew somebody or if you were regular, like they had some fairly strict, whatever about letting people in. I think that was more for preservation, right? If it were illegal to be gay, you were trying to make sure that you didn't let the wrong people in. I get that. And it's tough, too, because, you know, in part of the documentary, they talk about you could be harassed on the street for looking too gay. So it's like you got to be gay enough to get in, but not gay enough to get harassed. It's like (laughs) it's a fine line. That seems like a lot to consider when you're like (laughs) trying to pick out your pants. (laughs) Right. Not if you're a lady. Right. So I do like that they show a lot of footage of there's a drag show, like a army drag show of some kind. Military drag show, yeah. Was. Yeah. Touring the US. But I just am here to tell you that the men aren't gay. Okay. No. No. Those are straight men dressed up for their to serve their country. That's the only reason. What's patriotism, everyone? Yeah. Uh-huh. George talks a little bit about, at this point, World War II was really profound as gay people were able to find each other, and they weren't going to go back to the old ways, right? They were less isolated, they had built community, and so they're not willing to be as quiet as they were before. And I thought that was really sweet. After the war, people settled in the port cities. Um, And whatever you want to say about this, men took the jobs back and women were forced away from the independence, which I hate, but it's true. Back to the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then Hank kind of transitions this into the 40s where there are liberal ideas going on, civil rights. Those things are brewing, but also there's a lot of conservatism coming back and that's really starting to um, influence like it's. It's got a foothold, and I think it's kind of bumping up against some of these liberal ideas that are also also going on at the time. Yeah. So they talk about in the 50s, they see somewhat of an opening of gay society to the masses, 
books are being published mm-hmm. again about the homosexual experience. Dr. Kinsey, who was like, he's a big name, obviously the Kinsey Report and his study about sex and sexuality. He worked with a lot of the beat poets and authors. So he yeah. worked with like Allen Ginsberg and Kerouac and them. And so they were part of the statistics of the Kinsey Report in the initial studies, which is exciting. That's pretty cool. I mean, at the time to to be part of that, we meet Dr. Evelyn Hooker, which I think is the best name. Absolutely. <laughs> she said that homosexuality was thought to be a rare phenomenon until Kinsey came along and proved that there are like 20 million gay men and women. And that really opened their eyes to make them realize we are not this tiny little population. We actually mm-hmm. have some traction here and we're out there, right? Because they thought there were just this tiny little pocket. Right. Hank talks a little bit about communism. There was a big scare. Oh, and yeah. uh, the Red Senator scare. McCarthy. <laughs> Ugh. I know that's really difficult. So by finding out that this isn't necessarily rare, to be gay and the red scare that comes through mm-hmm. it creates a bit of a problem so people were kicked out of the military they lost government jobs um, if they were gay and obviously the real threat is that they could be made into spies yeah because if you're gay you're communist those two things are mutually inclusive apparently right and why why would the soviet union use them as spies oh because you could blackmail people mm. Mm-hmm. You can blackmail them. Right. So you're such a seductive person that you're getting with everybody. And then they can leverage that to get them government secrets. It feels like a ways to go. It's a leap. It's a leap. I think they're thinking blackmail them against, like, if you're in the clause about being gay, you could tell someone. They could tell someone you're gay and then you would lose your family and your job and everything. Who's to say? I like to think that they're that they're sending some hot pieces in there and everybody's falling for them. That's what I like. They are. Well, the women, the (laughs) women. So we see an advertisement or public service announcement and after school special. I don't know what it was, but it talks about women and girls are sent out according to carefully laid plans to brothels, to low cafes and bars and to the streets where they spread venereal disease and disorder among those upon whom the defense of the nation depends. Some serious shit. So again, let's talk a little bit about that's an old tactic. That's not new to say that women are out spreading venereal disease. That's happened many times in the past. Right. And I love how the men who are whoring around with these women, cheating on new wives and whatnot, have no responsibility on this. None. Just the women. Look, they have needs. And if you're <laughs> sending them the signals either that or the dog okay. i don't know one of them's gonna get laid with your goddamn feminine wiles okay <laughs> the fate of the country is at stake okay i don't know it's it was just i'm pretty sure whoever made this clip was the same director who made briefer madness it's the same <laughs> kind of thing there yeah it's got a real school film strip quality it's it's yeah. pretty it's pretty awesome mm-hmm so we could talk a little bit about Executive Order 10450. Mm-hmm. So this discusses that you are not eligible to have top clearance or like security clearance. You cannot have that if you are gay. And if you are found out, <laughs> sorry, I just am trying to think of like how they did this. 
So you were suspected of being gay. You were hauled in for some kind of interview where eventually you just cracked and like gave up other names of people who also might be gay. And then it's just like this cascade of people like got wiped out for this process. Yeah. It's Salem. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. 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 They said they separated between 900 and a thousand employees in the department of state. But I want you to know that they offered him a hearing. You can have a hearing. But I'm sure that that was so goddamn horrible that nobody took yeah. him up on it. They said maybe there was one. Yeah, he said maybe 10 amongst all of them. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. it's that's 1%. Not even. Yeah? Anyway, mm-hmm. math is hard. It's just, I assume the hearing is just them telling you how fucking horrible you are the whole time. And you not being able to say anything else. One guy talks about how he tried to get it. I can't remember his name. He tried to mm-hmm. like complain to different groups all the way up to the White House. It went all the way to the White House to which they were like, meh, dude, that sucks. Move on. Get another job. No one cared. And he lost his job. Another woman who was in like shadow, like even now in the early 80s, that's not now, but when this was being made, she was not going to let her face be seen. She talks about how she was in service during the McCarthy area, area, era even. And a couple of her coworkers were under investigation for homosexuality. So they interviewed her like all the time for months, like 10 to 11 months. They would come and get her any time of day or night, whether she was at work, whether she was at home, they would just pick her up and, and interview her. And she she broke. She finally just broke and knew that she was either going to have to admit to this or end up in a hospital. So she also had to incriminate another woman in the process because that's the only way that they'll accept your confession is if you incriminate mm-hmm. others. And they right. promised her that she would get an not honorable discharge, but a discharge. I had desirable discharge. discharge. Yeah. 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 And that they were not going to contact this other woman's family because that family did not know that this woman was gay. And of course, none of those things happened. She got a dishonorable discharge. And of course, they went right to that family and told them about everything. Right. So you were basically, again, here we see the theme of being ruined mm-hmm. and kind of forced to ruin other people. Well, I mean, that's what you get when you live a life without morals, Aaron. Right. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the uh, the alternative, shall we? Yeah. Hank says that really marriage and children is the only acceptable path in life. That was the message mm-hmm. that we still get today. Let me make sure that I'm, I mean, there is pushback um, for people who don't want to get married and have children even now. Yeah. Even if you're straight, even whether you're straight gay, it does not matter. That is right. supposed to be what you want. As a woman, I think men get it a little bit less today, but as a woman, especially, yes. Right. Hank says that many people that he knew, like, bought into the social pressure, right? It was so great that they could not resist. Mm -hmm. So it didn't really matter, you know, what you wanted, what your hopes and dreams were. You had to, you know, have the little house in the suburbs and a barbecue every Sunday. And I don't know that that really worked out well for people. So. Well, Hank got married, Mm -hmm. told himself he did it for the right reasons that he was in love and he wanted a family. And it seems a thing to do. 
for sure it didn't last forever. Johnny said she tried marriage and tried to act like she saw other women acting. Like she tried to play that role. Guessing that didn't work very well either. But if you were in a homosexual relationship, you didn't get that security that you would with marriage. You didn't get that safety. And I would think, especially as a woman who can't really go out and work in this time and can't have an independent life, that seems like the only option unless you stay with your family as a charity case. Now, I had gotten a little bit better, but they discussed like in the 1800s, you were definitely either get married or you're with your family. There were no other options. As I got a little bit better, there were probably some jobs for women. There had to be. There were single women out there and whatever. What if your husband died? What were you going to do? You had to take care of your family. But still, the options weren't many. There weren't many choices. Yeah, it's really sad. So I think we mentioned Harry Hay before. He and a guy mm-hmm. named Chuck Rowland decided that they're going to start the Mattachine Society. Mm-hmm. And so this was for gay men. and. It's supposedly the first worldwide kind of society. So they talked a lot about there's a lot of pressure to have a positive image, right? So these are men who are wearing suits. They're very clean cut. They have jobs. Like you can't be weird at all. So I know I would have been out, but nonetheless. (laughs) Also, you're not a gay man, but that's beside the point. You're right. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying there was probably like a, a great per like a gay man who could totally relate to that situation. But mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. nonetheless, initially I think everybody thought that it was hard to find others with like minds, right? Creating social change is scary, and I think there were a lot of people that were wanting to do this. They just didn't know where the other people were. And so this mm-hmm. gave them a way to group together to forward their cause. Right. And they started the first homosexual magazines. They started Mattachine Mm -hmm. Review and One. Mattachine helped Dr. Hooker with her research and studies because she was able to find a group of gay males who were, as she referred to them, functioning comparatively well. They were gainfully employed. They were not in psychiatric or psychological treatment. And she compared them to heterosexual males. And there was Almost zero numerical difference in the percentages of men in either group who had superior adjustments. So essentially, that made no difference in your life. If you were if mm-hmm. you were at this level, it didn't matter whether you were gay or not. Right. You were equal. And that I, I'm sure that helped to prove to gay men that you weren't different. You were I mean, you know what I mean? You're not not a man. I don't know how to rephrase that. Well, I think. You know, we talk a lot about society's expectations and if society has told you your whole life that you're a ne'er-do-well or, you know, whatever. I mean, there are a lot of stereotypes and I think Dr. Hooker's research helps break through those to say they're everybody's just, we're all the same, gay or straight, we're all the same. So, I mean, powerful, but it's sad that it took so long, but I'm happy um, that they were able to get a foothold. So the Daughters of Belitis would have been the next big movement, let's say, and that was support for lesbian by women and education. So they could, you know, it was the same kind of situation for lesbians as what Mattachine had done for men. So, yeah. Yeah, they also had a publication, The Ladder, 
And I liked how they talked about how it was it was passed on like chain letters, like a woman would read it and then give it to a friend and a friend would give it to someone else. And it was ended up making it to communities that people normally wouldn't get it because you couldn't mail homosexual material through the postal service at this point in time. And so it was just through passing it along that this really spread the word and people would write back to them and just sometimes still afraid to, to put their name down, but just to be thankful that that was out there to make them feel less alone. And I thought that's beautiful. Something yeah. to help. Right. Giving people hope, right. In whatever mm-hmm. form that they could. And I think that that's really sweet. In the fifties, men seem to have a wider range of expression if they were gay. So instead of just being effeminate, which we talked about before, Maybe you could be masculine. Maybe you could dress and drag. It seems to be a wider range of acceptability. I'm going to use that loosely. But to be gay and out in the open often meant that you were more effeminate. Like, and I don't know what the, if that's causal, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't, they didn't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't really understand, like, necessarily the dynamics of why that seemed to be the case. Uh, yeah. Was it because, if you're more feminine, it's more difficult to blend into masculine yes. society. So you were essentially outed already without any choice. So you had to come to terms with it very quickly. Right. It's possible. Yeah. Right. Um, Cause I think that almost the way this is talked about is like, you are flaunting it. <laughs> like, like, I don't know that that's a thing. Like, let's not get that message out there. No. Conversely, if you were a lesbian, evidently you just played softball. Like that's where all the lesbians got together. And I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> Either you played it or you would watch and admire is really what it comes down to. Did you ever watch the show on Amazon, A League of Their Own? Not the show. I've seen the movie. No, you have got to watch the show. It is so, okay. so okay. good. One, that was baseball, not softball. And they were amazing players. But also they kind of shine a light on being a lesbian during that time. I think that took place in like, okay. well, it was during World War II, right? So 30s and 40s. Sure. So good. Everyone go watch it immediately. It's so good. Mm -hmm. So then we start to talk a little bit about going to the bars is really risky because the rest are so common and you could pretty much count on least at least in being harassed. There was a common practice of backing a paddy wagon up to the entrance to a gay bar because the cops would just go in and book everybody. And then I think they took a special delight in publishing names in the paper. So they're outing everybody, which is not cool. Even if they weren't gay, if they happen to be straight and at a gay bar, they're getting arrested. They're being put into that category and their names are getting published. Yeah. It's not that it's okay for anybody. I'm just saying they didn't care. They're just taking everybody. Right. And the police go even so far as to kind of entrap people by planting you know, attractive young men in these gay bars and they would try to get a patron to say something sexual to them or like to, you know, hit on them or whatever. So I think there was a lot of very careful wording going on um, for people at this Mm -hmm. time. So I was like, God damn it. Maybe they found better codes than do you have a match? (laughs) What's the time? Yeah. I'm like, it's time to get ill. Sorry. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that the response? <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the fact that they still 
gay literature and film is still taboo. And there were a few trials in the 50s that helped liberate the word, as it were. So Ginsburg has a a gay book of poetry called Howl. It was overtly gay. I think there was probably images even. And they actually went to trial to make sure it could get published, and they won. It became a bestseller, probably because of all the controversy. Mm-hmm. Good for you. Mm-hmm. The magazine, one, fought the government and was then allowed to use the U.S. Postal Service to mail out their publication. So they were able to start mailing it out to others. So those are big movements forward when it comes to, like, censorship and that. Well, there are a couple things they talk about. So they talk about Greenwich Village being a place to be and how comfortable people felt going there. So, like, if you were gay and you went to Greenwich Village and you saw men who wanted to dress like women, women who wanted to dress like men, and there were just gay people who were themselves, that it felt very comfortable and you were able to be yourself there, which is a nice feeling. They also talk about the Black Cat, which is a bohemian slash gay bar in San Francisco, open to all humans who were open. And it was pretty much a family. They took care of each other. Pretty interesting, too, because... They were, they kind of waffled on political acceptance, right? So initially they had been accepted, mm-hmm. but then also they were targeted. And it seems that people would leverage their support until they got elected and then come down on them on the flip side, which is pretty shitty. They are realizing though that their community does have political power as a voting block. So they mm-hmm. are having some slow gains. There's, a gentleman named Jose Serreria. He's a singer at the Black Cat and he ran for city supervisor. So there was a rousing rendition of God Save Our Queens, which is pretty <laughs> fucking hilarious. It was. Set to Sweet Land of Liberty, right? God Save yeah. Our Queens. Well, God Save the Queen is the same tune, the English. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're, you're so cultured. I love it. <laughs> so... And what I thought was really interesting at this point, they're talking about the civil rights movement that the, like the African-American liberation movement came up with is really the blueprint that everybody else glommed onto for their various yeah civil rights movements, right? Like women's lib or gay rights or whatever, because a lot of people volunteered to help with liberation for African-Americans. And then they learned those lessons and brought those home to their own causes. And I was like, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. They talk about how a Mm -hmm. lot of gay people were part of the black civil rights movement because they weren't able to stand up for themselves. So they were able to go stand up for someone else at this point in time. But like you said, take those lessons and incorporate that into Mm -hmm. gay rights. Now they also talk about how, Watching the African-American community stand up for themselves really empowered the other communities to say, hey, you know what? We don't fucking have to take it either. You know, we can also stand up. And I thought, yes, that's absolutely what it's all about, to see a group stand up for themselves and say, that's what we should all do to a certain extent. If everyone stands up, then it's chaos. I don't know. Well, I think, you know, they had momentum, right? So, Mm mm-hmm the civil rights movement for African-Americans had the most forward momentum. And so mm-hmm. people wanted to pitch in. And then I'm not going to say that they won and they got everything that they wanted because we're also still yeah. fighting that yeah. battle. 
But I do like the fact that people learned and were able to leverage that um, to make their movements a little mm-hmm. less. I don't know. Like they just didn't have to learn, you know, reinvent the wheel. Right. So. Right. Right. And they're all kind of tied together. They're all oppressed communities, African-Americans, the homosexuals and the women's all have oppression at some, at some point. Yeah. And I also want to say, I'm not sure. Oh, Lizzie, I think it was the documentary on the Janes where the ladies were talking about, yeah, there was beginnings of a women's liberation movement and they went to the meetings and the men were like, you can't talk. You're a girl. And they're like, <laughs> what? So, yeah, at their own meetings. Yes. Yeah. So it's not all, you know, perfect, but uh, like I said, I think they're, they're learning and there's interest in, in forwarding some of those different causes for better rights for folks. Right. And we start to see more publicity about it. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. not good publicity, but publicity either way, like with the Kinza report and things like that, there was one news, <laughs> one news report that talks about the problem the homosexuals have among the community at large. And I'm like, what? And they talked to an actual homosexual. This poor cat, he was outed. He had a family. He had a job. And they're like, uh, are you worried your family will find out? He's like, well, they will now. And yeah, he's like, and I'll probably lose my job. But he wanted to get out there to let other people know. So he sacrificed himself, essentially, threw himself right. on the sword so mm-hmm. other people might be able to come forward or live a better life or just understand a little bit more. Like, listen, we're just normal people. We're out here like everybody else. There's nothing wrong with us. Mm-hmm. You have to see that we're just like everybody else. And even in the their own... Um their own ranks. There's a hot debate because there's a gentleman named Frank and some of the other leaders want to message out that gay people are not mentally ill, mm-hmm. but it really sparked again. It was not a common, it wasn't something that they were really ready to take on. And I think that's because maybe they didn't want to call attention to it. I'm not really sure. Like that was pretty, it seemed to be pretty ingrained in societal beliefs. Well, and I wonder if, as the homosexual community, you have people who say this is not a psychological disorder and others who say this is a psychological Mm -hmm. disorder. Is it possible that if it is a psychological disorder, there's justification for it? Does that make sense? So it's almost like, oh, okay, they can't help it versus if it's not a psychological disorder, well, they're just deviants. And I don't know (laughs) if that was maybe part of why they would glom onto it and stick with it because it made them feel a little like, like people wouldn't judge them as harshly. Maybe. I don't know. Right. They don't necessarily again, discuss a a lot of that. And I don't know how long this documentary would be if they did. (laughs) Right. That's true. Well, even Dr. Hooker had said that she saw the viewpoint of, she saw it as a mental disorder until she learned more. And then once you have more knowledge, you can change your, Opinions, yeah. Pod favorite Ronald Reagan says <laughs> that it is a tragic illness, Aaron. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's such a tragic illness that it leads to AIDS, and we can't even mention that in the 80s. Thanks, Reagan. Right. Like an asshole. It, here's 100%. the thing is, I don't think he was an asshole. 
I just think he wasn't a good person like everyone makes him out to be. And he was doing things that were so bad. I, you know what I mean? It's not like he was overtly an asshole. He was just not a good person at all. Yeah, it's hard to understand. I don't think that he was hoping for the economic collapse of our nation. <laughs> like the housing. I mean, well done, sir. He was just doing what he could to forward his stuff at -hmm. the time by deregulating Mm -hmm. stuff and like the downstream stuff that trickled on economics yeah (laughs) oh we're still waiting for that oh i don't want to get off on that tangent so annoying no no a lady named ivy bottini um she's a former housewife co-founder of ny now which is women's liberation um and that drew women who were Um, This says struggling with their sexuality. I don't know that that's what I would say, but I get it, right? Well, yeah, she says that the women's movement was a safe place Mm -hmm. for women who were struggling with their sexuality. But I think a lot of women didn't see it as an option. And so once you start going to things like this and you meet other women, you see it like, that is an option. Look at that. I don't have to live like this. That yeah. So it might not have been a struggle. Some of them might not have. I mean, I'm not sure that they all came out that way, but it, they were very much entwined, you know, the women's liberation and um, gay women, lesbians really was very close together. Absolutely. So 1967, some things change. We get the flower children who give rise to the hippie movement, right? Mm-hmm. Their whole fucking thing was acceptance. You can dress how you want to dress. You can love who you want to love. Free love, right? man. Mm-hmm. A lot of social turmoil going on at this time because the hippies were radical, uh, bumping up against those conservative values. Mm-hmm. And on the day in question, Friday, June 27th, 1969, lots of things are aligning. Yeah, one guy, I don't, I don't think I ever caught his name. He had said, people often asked him what was special about that night that made it different from other times. And he's like, there was nothing special about that night. It was just, it had reached a point where everything came together mm-hmm. and went over the edge. And, um, you know, the patrons of the Stonewall, instead of timidly taking it and being shoved into the paddy wagon yet again, they were just like, fuck you. And they started hurling bottles and rocks back at the cops. They weren't taking it anymore. Right. And the cops were unprepared for this, right? Because everybody mm-hmm. had been so passive, but they were just tired of being abused. Yeah. The rioting went on for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And that radiated across the country, right? It gave other people around the country who saw this voice to say, you know what? You're right. We're not fucking doing it anymore. And so they could stand up for themselves and their work and their lives. And that it's a horrible that it has to get to that point to make any fucking difference. But you guys change never happens peacefully. It is sad, but true. It never happens peacefully. Right. There's a real spirit of rebellion. Mm -hmm. And this kind of creates a spark. So stay tuned for next week. (laughs) Where they said, A large number of gay people who had not heard about the movement before had heard about it now and had said, you know, like, I'm going to join this or I'm going to start something of my own. And so it really was just, it spread like a fucking fungus. 
You know how I feel about a fungus. Oh, but good no. times. <laughs> I do. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> side That's eye. okay. I'm so good at that, though. Mm. Do you have a vote for honorary Aaron this week? I do. I'm going to vote for Johnny because okay. she stood up to fucking General Eisenhower and was like, listen, sir, I'm gay. This cat's gay. We're all fucking gay. But you know what? We're actually keeping your shit running smoothly. Thank you and goodbye. And I love her for it. I don't know that I'm that brave. But she is. And she can be an honorary Aaron for it. I do like that story. It's really fun. Mm-hmm. What about you? Okay. I'm going to say Gladys Bentley, who was Ooh. not necessarily featured in this, but she wore a lot of pants. And I can definitely mm-hmm. fucking get behind that. So, But she was yeah. a bit of a rebel at a time where, like I said, she... I think she really uh, was memorable for people, for her actions and, you know, what Mm -hmm. she did. And I like that. Yep. She was unapologetically herself. Mm -hmm. Yep. I love it. And I aspire to be that, right? Like, I'm not there yet. (laughs) We're going to get there, maybe. Listen, I'm just thinking about getting bangs, and that seems like a big (laughs) step for me. So (laughs) let's calm down a little bit. Right, right, right. (laughs) It's a big step. Just saying. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so to continue this journey, what are we doing next week? So we'll do After Stonewall, Mm -hmm. which was made in 1999, Mm -hmm. hour and 28 minutes for this one, Mm -hmm. and everybody go watch it on Tubi for free. (laughs) Or pay for it if you want. It's up to you. You can also pay for it, I think, on Prime. So it depends on how, how annoyed you get by commercials. Yeah, there are only a couple. And this will take us from 1969 to 1999 and kind of what happened in those 30 years with the LGBTQIA plus community. Now, it's a shame that we're 24 years later and we don't have anything for that bit, but a lot has happened forward and backward in that time. So I don't know. Maybe we'll we'll add our own addendum to the end of next week and see. Put Could a little verb in there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... You can find us on Instagram and Twitter. We're always looking for reviews, ideas, what you like, what you don't like. Um, we're open to everything. So, guys, start off your pride with a bang, and we mm-hmm. will join you next week. Yep. Happy Pride Month, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Later. Bye. Bye.